Who were we before shame told us we weren't enough? I asked myself that question three years ago and I haven't stopped since. You see, shame tells us that we're alone in how we feel, that it doesn't matter what we think or say or believe. Every part of us that feels unfindable, unreachable, unseeable, unlovable has shame in it. And I believe so fervently that there is power in speaking to that shame. So join me as we reclaim the space that shame has taken up. Hello, you incredible humans. I am not your host, but I snore next to your host almost every night. <laughs> and I get slapped for it. Last night you did pretty good. You didn't, I didn't have to whack you on the belly and go, babe, roll over. Any more That's a than, win. Any more, I think, That's just one win, time. That's a win, guys. That's a win. <laughs> you know, you've, you've reached a certain stage in adulthood when that's a win. <laughs> what's cool about your job or what's cool about your life? Well, last night I slept and didn't get slapped by my wife for snoring. Oh, man. So you can say I'm trimming down. <laughs> like, I've, I'm excited whenever we build new shelves or any... Any new storage implementation comes into mm -hmm. our home, I am, like, giddy. So that's cool. I think this is what... Are we middle-aged now? <laughs> we are middle-aged now. I'm realizing this. <laughs> are we As really? we're having this conversation. <laughs> we might not actually be middle-aged, but, like, whenever I eat mild spice, mild salsa, I, like, pull my shirt up and, like, Ugh. Oh, my gosh. You I, like, gotta like, air my belly out. <laughs> you can eat, like, a quarter of a cup of tomato sauce and you're, like... <laughs> I'm going to have heartburn for the next three days over that. Oh, you're not wrong. I, I really do think we are middle-aged. You have special socks that you buy that you like, and I have like... I don't have special socks. Yeah, They're just you do. Adidas socks from Costco. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> and I have Tums on my nightstand, or like Alka-Seltzer choose yes you do well thanks for coming on this journey with us as we realize that we're middle-aged um Welcome have a great to day our midlife crisis <laughs> oh maybe we'll do an episode about that next season <laughs> the shame of being old in a young body well i'm emily and um this is nathan yep and we have our last episode of season one today Woo -woo. uh it's i feel like we're celebrating the birth of my third child. We should have a party or something. Definitely. But also I want to take a nap. But we, but we can't have salsa. <laughs> yeah. Because your heartburn. <laughs> we also can't have like super rich things either because of my heartburn. Yeah. We'll have vanilla cake. <laughs> With no frosting. No sprinkles or frosting. <laughs> Basically I... just a muffin, but <laughs> with no muffin top. Basically just, just a muffin. <laughs> Oh, that's me. I'm basically just a muffin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, we're we're celebrating the first season. Thank you for being here. Thank you for spending time with us, with me, with our guests. Um, if you've listened up to this episode, or if you've listened even to just only this episode, I encourage you to go back through the episodes and find some of our guests and connect with them. Find the the guests that I interviewed that touched you and impacted you and connect with them because they're doing work in their everyday life to continue to educate and empower and support and uplift. And you can learn even more from them, uh, all with the ease of the internet. 
So hopping into today's topic, uh, it is a much needed and highly important topic, and that is how to protect your kids from childhood sexual abuse. And even if you're not a parent, this these are valuable things to know because you spend time with children. You are around children. As a human being, we I think we kind of owe it to each other to help each other and especially our young and more vulnerable of our population. We owe it to them to help them, to protect them, to uplift them, to support them, to believe them. And so that's why today's episode, as painful and hard as it is, also, I believe, has some incredibly valuable information that is beneficial for every human to know. And I'm just going to throw in a disclaimer. At some point in this episode, you will probably be a little uncomfortable. Yeah, you might be triggered. And that's an okay thing and a good thing even. Sit in that discomfort and know that the things that we talk about today could help a child in your life to um, be safe, be safe, be heard. Mm -hmm. So let's first establish what childhood sexual abuse is. According to Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, or RAIN, You'll hear rain a lot in this episode. Um, child abuse includes things like exhibitionism or exposing oneself to a minor, fondling, intercourse, masturbation in the presence of a minor or forcing the minor to masturbate, obscene conversations, phone calls, text messages, or digital interaction, producing, owning, or sharing pornographic images or movies of children, sex of any kind with a minor, including vaginal, oral, or anal, sex trafficking, or any other contact of a sexual nature that involves a minor. So according to childhelp.org, in 2019 alone, state agencies found over 656,000 victims of child maltreatment. This would pack 10 modern football stadiums. So I don't know if you've ever been to like a big NFL stadium or anything like that. I've been to Lambeau Field in Wisconsin. And that sucker is huge. And just to think of 10 of those filled with children that have been treated. That you know. Is just the worst. You know some of those children that would be in those stadiums. And this isn't like a guilt, like, you know, and you didn't do anything. No, this is to and, provide impact. Yeah. And because... you, you may not know that they are a victim of childhood sexual right. abuse. But you know children abused. who are being abused and are victims of maltreatment. Yes. And also, just a quick side note, in 2020, numbers of child abuse skyrocketed. I don't have the specific statistic, but I know that locally, um, CPS saw a vast increase of childhood abuse calls and investigations because everybody was home. We didn't have school and the pandemic put a lot of stress and strain on a lot of people, and children paid for it. According to Rain, every nine minutes, CPS substantiates or finds evidence for a claim of child sexual abuse. Among cases of child sexual abuse reported to law enforcement, 93% of perpetrators are known by the child, 34% are family members, 59% are acquaintances, 
and 7% are strangers. One in nine girls and one in 53 boys under the age of 18 experience sexual abuse or assault at the hands of an adult. 82% of all victims under 18 are female, and females ages 16 to 19 are four times more likely than the general population to be victims of rape, attempted rape, or sexual assault. RAIN suggests ways to prevent sexual abuse, like being involved in your child's life, which includes specific things, and we'll go over some. But you can find a full list on RAIN.org. And again, that's RAIN with two N's. Um, and encouraging your child to speak up. Our list, uh, not to negate anything that RAIN shares or that other trusted experts share, but as a f- survivor of sexual abuse and my partner, as parents, <laughs> this is our list. And this is what we have tried really hard to teach our children and what we're laying the foundation. So number one, we use correct anatomical terms in our house. We do not say private parts. Uh, Actually, I think the most vague we are is genitals. We talk about openly, we answer questions about genitals in our home. And when our children ask us questions about body parts, we don't shy away from using those anatomical phrases, which has required both of us to get a little uncomfortable because that's not how either one of us was raised. I don't know very many people our age that were raised that way. Yeah. I hope that we're creating a generation of people who know that a labia is a labia and a penis is a penis. And we're not, you know, beating around the bush uh, awkwardly and weirdly by saying things like private parts. Yeah. And just as like a, a personal story about how uncomfortable it can be. There was one time we were in the grocery store and oh, yeah. our daughter <laughs> ran up to me and there were other, you know, like older ladies around and she goes, dad, my labia is itchy. And I was like, at first I was definitely taken aback and embarrassed. Yeah. But because this is such an important thing, I just turned that off and was like, oh, really? Maybe do you need to go potty or can we go to the bathroom or something? Yeah. You know, make it so that it's an appropriate place that we can take care of the issue, but to address it in that instance. Right. But just as parents, we have to turn off that embarrassment because if we portray that, our child picks up on mm-hmm. that and then they become embarrassed about their own body. Their and that's own body. Exactly what we're trying to prevent. And I am telling you right now, as a survivor of sexual abuse, I was five years old when I was first sexually abused. Perpetrators use that bodily embarrassment to their advantage. And it is never too late. You're like, oh shit, I have a 23 year old and we didn't use labia. And scrotum and penis in our house. We didn't talk about vulva and clitoris. Well, it's never too late to call your kid up and say, hey, I'm learning. I'm growing. I know now how important it is to not feel shame and shame you and shame myself over these bodily terms. Let's talk about it. Um, I promise that it makes a difference. If I'd have known, I think if I'd have known, oh, my labia had been touched or I was asked to touch someone else's body. I think I would have been able to advocate for myself. Um, Not that it's my responsibility because I was a child, but 
it would have changed things for me, I think. I think mm-hmm. it would have changed things it for a given lot of you survivors. Tools right. That you didn't have. Right. So the next point we have is no secrets. So a lot of um child sexual abusers uh will throw out things like we can't tell anybody this has to be our little secret you know mommy and daddy would be real upset and it just needs to be a secret between you and me and that's how they keep uh perpetuating the situation that the child is in and keep them from bringing things to light because i think most of us would agree that if these situations come to light then you know i am definitely of the mindset that that crap is going to get shut down so effing quick like yeah. well we hope so i mean yes if recent events in you know in churches um not we can't count on organizations to protect our kids unfortunately yes so as a parent it's our job and as caretakers it's our job to as Nate said shut that effing thing down yep as quickly and as forcefully as possible so one of the ways we teach our children to avoid any situation like that that may ever happen is to not keep secrets especially with any other adult right uh we we can have what we call happy surprises yeah because we don't want our kids to be like this is what you're getting for your birthday. Exactly. <laughs> and so the difference between a secret and a happy surprise is that surprises are a happy. They're not something that makes your tummy feel bad yes. or anything like that. But then also surprises, the truth is always revealed. And usually in like a very short time frame, like yeah. maybe max a month. And mommy and daddy how know. How good you are at your Christmas shopping. <laughs> Yeah. Mommy and daddy know surprises too. Happy surprises are something that people get to find out very soon. Like it's, and it's really hard to teach little kids this. We're just trying to model it, honestly. But helping your kid understand that happy surprises are something that we get to find out together later. It's something, it's going to be a fun thing, like Nathan said. It's exciting and fun and makes our belly feel happy. Whereas a secret is something that Someone can use to say, don't tell mommy and daddy, don't tell your teacher, don't tell your friends. No, nobody can know. Um, And that's a huge differentiation between happy surprises and secrets is happy surprises have an expiration date, whereas secrets don't. Our next tip is knowing who is spending time with your child and choosing who spends time with them carefully. This is really difficult. This requires work, my friend. This requires Leaning into that uncomfortable feeling. This requires how does, how much time does my child spend with so-and-so? XYZ individuals. Right. And of course, if your children are school-aged, if the people, the kids in your life, if they go to school, they're going to be spending a lot of time with teachers and with peers. Um, And people's backgrounds are, if they're at least in a public position, like a teacher and, and, um, I guess like aides and stuff, you can ask teachers like, hey, what's your background? Like, you know, what do you specialize in? What was your degree in? Like, you know, you can ask people those kinds of questions. But before you send your kid to someone's house to go play, why don't we also do that with other people? Like, why don't we Mm -hmm. kind of sort of interview others, especially if they're going to spend time around our kids? I'm not advocating for paranoia. 
I'm not advocating yes, for you, you to background check. You don't need to sit down and have a formal interview with every neighbor and neighbor kid and their parents and carpool friend, you know, yeah. but why don't we actually try to get to know each other anymore? Why don't we actually ask questions? I feel like this is not something that we encourage. I feel like we have for a long time just assumed that good people are good people. Well, my friend. Uh, good people just look the same as bad people. Right. Right. I, I, I think it would shock a lot of people if we supported victims, if we supported survivors and actually believed them. I mean, wow, would we be shocked at who hurt them? So why don't we start interviewing our friends, our kids' friends, our kids' parents' friends, you know? Um, why don't we get curious about who's going to be spending time with our kids? And again, not in a paranoid way. Uh, it takes a village to raise a child. Socialization is important. Different viewpoints are important. We want our kids to learn from other people. We can't mm -hmm. teach them everything. But if your child is going to be spending time with someone, especially in a pretty isolated situation, it's important to know who that person is. Following that, another thing we do is regularly checking in with our children about how they feel both around and about the people that they spend time with. And it's important to support your child in trusting their gut by asking them open-ended questions and supporting their decisions. So one of the things that we do when we've been spending uh, time away from our children uh, or sometimes even like at large family gatherings is we ask them how they felt about it with like a thumbs up or thumbs down. Our kids are currently two and three. And so it's important for us to know how they felt about it. And that's a really easy way, especially for really and young a developmentally children, appropriate way. Yeah. Yes. To give their open-ended general feedback is with a thumbs up or a thumbs down. It's pretty straightforward. And as our daughter's getting a little bit older and getting closer to four, she will be able to kind of expound upon that like, oh, what made it thumbs up? What made it thumbs down? Yeah. How did your tummy feel? That's another reason. I know we've talked about it before on other episodes, but recognizing where emotions sit in your body is a really useful tool, especially as a parent, because when your kids are so young, our, we come prepackaged to be aware of our bodies and we are conditioned out of that. So um, helping your kid by using words like, you know, how does that make your tummy feel? Or how does your heart feel about that? Like they, they get it. Kids get it. I am continually shocked and in awe of how often kids get stuff that adults just don't anymore that we've been conditioned out of. Yeah, that we've forgotten. <laughs> right. So use, you know, use our, how, how emotions sit in our bodies. Use that as a tool to help you help your kid. Yeah. But then ultimately the goal also, just going back to that, is finding how they feel about other people mm. and honoring how they feel about those people in terms of who they spend time with. And especially when you're considering like, you know, obviously we can't be with our kids 24-7. I think we would all like to just have our little houses, have food come to us and, you know, we can just... I don't just, know. Sometimes okay. I need a break. <laughs> <laughs> I'm personally an introvert. I like to stay home a lot. Uh, but we like to spend time with our family and we like to be with them as much as possible with exception of much needed breaks every now and again. 
but that's not realistic. That's not possible. So we need to know when we're going to be away from our children that the people that we're letting them spend time with are safe people that can be trusted and, you know, will do for them what we would want to be done. Right. And what they want to have done because, you know, again, just honoring their choices and their decisions about how they feel about other Mm -hmm. people. And perfectly right into that, our next point is probably uh, one of the hardest ones for... I'm sorry, don't say next point. (laughs) Boom! (laughs) You're stinking turd. (laughs) (sighs) You just ruined my groove. You threw off my groove. I sure did, because you threw off mine. (laughs) Our next point... That you gave me such a great lead into, <laughs> sweetheart of sweetness and saltiness. Uh, we have to honor our kids' boundaries and our kids' bodily autonomy. And I, like, raise your hand if your bodily autonomy was honored as a kid. How many times did you have to kiss the relative or give the person a hug? Yeah. Or give how many times? Uncle. Right. Like, go give uncle so-and-so a kiss. Like, no, Even I don't want to give him a kiss. Kilt that he... <laughs> Openly has said, there's nothing underneath. That's personal, honey. Story for another time. Sorry about that. Go to therapy with that. Yep. (laughs) You don't have to is the whole dang point. Right. And and so it's really hard sometimes when we're parenting or when we're teaching, when when we are educating children in any capacity to give them what we didn't get because we are literally like, okay, well, these are new rules that I didn't have any experience with, but we're going to learn them together. So maybe practice honoring your own body autonomy. Maybe that will help you. But you honoring your child's body autonomy is massively impactful because you create a safe place for them. You create a place for them to go, mom, I don't want to give you a hug. Dad, I don't want to give you a hug. Teacher, friend, you know, friend's parent, I don't want to give you a hug. And you create a safe place for them to go, hey, um, you know, so-and-so made me give them a kiss or, or whatever, you know, or so-and-so makes my tummy feel nervous. And sometimes this means letting your kids say no to you picking them up, to, to you dressing them. It also means enforcing these rules with your family, which is uncomfortable, but you got to do it. And I'm telling you, even when you get pushback, it's a worthy cause. It's a worthy fight to continually remind family members, hey, uh, we don't hug without permission. Ah, we don't kiss without permission. Ah, did you ask before you pick them up? Our rule is unless our children are hurting themselves or someone else, we don't physically intervene. So if my toddler is running out to the curb, I'm going to pick that kid up. If my three-year-old is beating on their brother and smacking them and, and getting in a fight, I'm going to break that up physically. I'm going to get in between them and help them calm down and be safe. But other than that, that means sometimes my kid wears a My Little Pony 2T shirt to the grocery store. And I don't cringe, even though I cringe, because they didn't want me to don't dress them. Cringe. Yes, I do cringe <laughs> on the inside. But sometimes that means that they wear what they want to wear and like ridicule be damned. Like my kid got to make a choice with their body. It's kind of tricky when you're teaching like hygiene. Again, it's one of those things that, um, that you have to use your wise mind as a parent with. So like for toothbrushing, for example, we give a mommy turn or a daddy turn and then a kid turn. Um, And the mommy and daddy turn is their least favorite, but their teeth need to get brushed. And 
are healthy. You know, we need to help them show. that's the only way we can make sure it happens. Right. And developmentally appropriately while also honoring their body. Those are our two big tenants. Is this developmentally appropriate and does this honor their body and are they safe? So with those boundaries in mind, you can take that and use that as a model as you grow, as your children grow, and as they um, become like more full human beings. And also you can use it when interacting with other people who may be like family members who maybe aren't as familiar with bodily autonomy boundaries. Mm -hmm. I think I speak for all of us when I say pretty much if you're a millennial, your grandparents, whenever you would come in, would say, oh, give give me a hug. Give me a kiss. Yeah. But making them stop and being the boundary enforcer and saying, oh, maybe we can try saying, would you like to give me a hug? or?" Would you like to give me a kiss? I'm so happy to see you. You know, things like that that then don't suggest an outcome for the child, but right. leave open-ended. it more as an open-ended invitation. So that they can actually choose. And you know what? It's become some of our family members honor it and some of them still need reminding, but it's become a lot more direct for me. I'm to the point where I'm like, ah, you didn't ask. And I'm like the salty kind of like they grumble about it but like my kids have bodily autonomy so Mm -hmm. be mad at me all you want you know like i don't care parents bless their hearts just need reminding yeah they they're a lot more agreeable ones we've reminded them right but they often forget because that's what they've done for the past right literally 30 plus we are breaking patterns it sounds so silly to be like does somebody want to hug you oh no okay then don't hug them like is that where we're really at but yes it's where we're really at where we're really at our following tool is to encourage curiosity don't punish it i know from experience that when I would have a question about bodies or about words I learned at school, um, there was a very clear, I guess, morality around those types of subjects. So when I couldn't turn to my parents or other trusted adults like teachers, I would keep it and feel ashamed over it and compound that with my sexual abuse. I was like a, a box of knots. Encouraging curiosity looks like Mommy, why does he have a penis? Or why does brother have a penis? Or honestly, too, if you're ever... Or why does his labia look like that? Yes, that's a question we've got. it's not a labia. Yep. Why does his vulva look like that? Well, his vulva is actually a penis and a scrotum, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but also, as our kids get older and are experiencing more words and phrases, I want my children to come to me when they hear things at school that they're unsure about. Because... As an adult, sex is part of my life. I'm in a committed relationship with a sexual component that I had very little training for, by the way. Mm -hmm. Even though I had been sexually abused for years and I had experienced sexual activities, I did not understand sexuality. I did not understand bodies. I didn't even know what to call my own body parts. So many people are in the same boat. Raise your hand if you were in the same boat. So instead of... (laughs) Nathan's raising his hand. You can't see it, but I'm raising my (laughs) hand. I think our parents tried really hard to keep us safe. They did it because they love us and they did what they knew how. And now we know how to do differently. So let's do differently. Instead of punishing our children for asking what a labia is or why are those people naked? Or where did you hear that word? Oh, at school. Like instead of treating 
Treating yes. it like a Christmas story where and, Ralphie comes home and swears. And adding morality to it. R- right. Words are not moral. Right. And body parts. using them to harm right. other people. Body parts aren't immoral. We have, we have breasts. We have ball sacks. We have labias. We have clitorises. Let's just help our kids understand that without assuming that they're going to go to hell if they know what a clitoris is. And making them feel ashamed. Mm-hmm. Or talking about it because then when your kid encourages or excuse me when they encounter something possibly hopefully again we don't ever want this to happen but statistically we know it does when your child encounters something that is unsafe they know their track record with you is that when they have a question about things like this they can come to you and talk to you about it you become a safe person in a vast huge storm for your child and and you've just disrupted a cycle and helped them through Mm -hmm. something It's powerful. And the unfortunate consequence of the opposite of that is just as powerful in the negative. Yep. If you treat their curiosity with a little bit of shame, which is exactly what this podcast is hella not for. Yep. uh, It creates a track record that they can't talk to you and leaves them uh, exposed to be sexually abused or to be taken advantage of. Or to get their information from inaccurate sources, unsafe sources. Exactly. Right? Like, Google's a powerful tool, but there's also a lot of crap on the internet. There's also a lot of unsafe stuff on the internet. So let's help our children by empowering themselves. And this looks like getting uncomfortable, my friend. This looks like encountering your own discomfort with these subjects and these topics. Can it be done? Absolutely. Are you capable of doing it? Absolutely. You're an incredible rock star, and you can do all this hard work. And that leads us on to our next bit, knowing the warning signs. Some signs, but not all, include bleeding, bruises, or swelling in the genital area, frequent urinary or yeast infections, development of phobias, inappropriate sexual knowledge or behaviors, returns to regressive behaviors, runaways, self-harm, shrinks away or seems threatened by physical contact, or become overly protective or concerned for siblings, even taking a caretaker role. For a complete list, please re- visit rain.org. Again, they are the source for a lot of this. But a lot of those things, and to be clear, not all of those not things. all of these things are Means for sure signs. Yeah. yeah, you know, they might have a bruise on their arm or whatever. Because they fell down or... They might be regressing because of life change. Mm-hmm. You know? There they are have a new baby and they're a sucking lot their of thumb these, again. But a lot of these concurrently, too, are a strong correlation. Right. And correlation isn't always causation. But knowing these signs helps you look deeper and ask more open-ended questions to figure out anything that may be going on. Well, in reading the full list on rain.org, I can count at least five things that I personally remember like experiencing or signs that I personally remember exhibiting at the same time, Um, which, you know, that's heavy and that's hard. And there's a lot of pain that comes with that, that I'm working through. But again, you know, it doesn't mean to run and panic and freak out. We don't want to share these signs with you and make you lose sleep tonight. 
but we do just want to provide the resources for you and the tools for you so that you can make empowered and impactful and assertive decisions for your family, for your community. Our last tool is probably the one you were most expecting me to say, which is heal your own shit. Be actively working through your own triggers and your own heavy stuff, your own hard stuff. Your healing will always impact your children, will always impact the kids in your life, will always impact those around you. I have said this once and I will say it forever. You cannot heal in isolated increments. If you're going to heal one thing, I promise, eventually the momentum, the ripple effect will heal all things. Um, We've seen it with pain and trauma, generational stuff. Pain and, and hurt doesn't just impact one person. It impacts a lot of people. Just the same is true for healing. Just as you heal, you heal others. So if you're feeling like, man, this is such a long list, Em and Nate, you guys just gave me homework and I already have to, you know, finish end of year stuff for my kids. I already have to figure out what's going to be on the table for dinner tomorrow. I already need to make sure we have enough money. You know, I promise that healing your own heartbreak as you live each day will be enough to get you in moving in a really hopeful, helpful direction for this. Yeah you'll definitely be able to have a more positive direction. And I've seen that as I've dealt with my own shit, that my capacity has increased for all of the different things that life throws at us. Right. And all the different things that we have to go to on a day-to-day basis and work and, you know, dinner and cleaning up after toddlers time and time and time and time again. Dealing with their emotions. That's, that is one that I have grown leaps and bounds in mm-hmm. when dealing with my own stuff is having a better capacity to be patient and kind and loving with our own children. Yep. I know it's heavy and sad to think about children being harmed. It sucks deeply, but we will not protect them by ignoring the problem. If the situation in Uvalde, Texas is teaching us anything right now, It's that children will continue to pay for things first. They will be on the front line until we, the adults, the parents, take educated, informed, and assertive action. I can't, won't, don't want to um, speak for all survivors of CSA, but I can speak for myself as a survivor who took a long time to feel support in speaking up, in sharing my story, in speaking to shame, in getting help. I can say that this is heavy and it is defining. There um, is a point in my life that was pre-abuse and I can never go back to then. I will always feel, I think, the M that I was before abuse and the M that I am after abuse. And those two sides of me often war because one has been given a shit ton of heavy stuff to carry. And I, I always wonder like what my life would look like if I didn't have to have carried that. And I look at these stats and advice given and I want to go back in time and be that person that protected me so that I didn't have to carry this. And I look at my own children now and I ache knowing that child sexual abuse and child abuse in general are not eradicated. I'm, I'm sick and I ache to know that they could have a part of this. 
they could be part of this club that no one wants to be in. That's devastating. But, and, and there is a legitimate but, I do take comfort and I do find peace in things like these resources. I do take comfort and see for myself firsthand the power and empowerment that comes in teaching my kids your body, your choice, and in supporting their gut decisions. The small and simple actions that could have helped me and so many other survivors. Helping protect and arm my children against abuse has been hand in hand to my own healing. I've brought little M along with me for so much of it and helped her feel supported, believed, and empowered. So to all of this, I promise that there is hope. My friend, I believe that as fervently as I believe that we can make a change. Thank you guys so much for coming along with us on this episode. And thank you for everything that has happened with season one. Thank you to all the guests we've had. Thank you to all the incredible listeners that we had that allow us to do this and to be a voice. And thank you to M for the beautiful words that you have week after week on this podcast and the wonderful things that you teach and share to those who need it most. Mm, Thank you. Thank you for the incredible honor of spending time with you each week on this platform. Um, I joke with Nathan that this podcast has become our third child. (laughs) It's a cutie. (laughs) I cannot wait to bring season two to you, my friend. It is going to be incredible. I have so many phenomenal people lined up to teach you and to help you speak to your shame, to continue in this path, in this journey of lifting and healing and sitting in the shit and working through it together with support and with love. Happy healing my phenomenal and incredible friend. Happy summer. I hope you find peace and joy in yourself, in your body, in your life, and in your roles. And if not, I hope the pursuit of those things brings you closer to them. See you back here on September 2nd, 2022. I'm Nathan. And I'm Emily. And and this this is Speaking Speaking to to Shame. I can't wait to discover the parts of ourselves. (laughs) I can't wait to rediscover who we were before shame told us we weren't enough. I can't wait to find those parts of us that need healing, that feel unfindable and unlovable, and remind them that shame is not our truth. So moving on from there, we're going to talk about incur- <laughs> encouraging curiosity. <laughs> little, 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 little. <laughs> Why uh, encourage and curiosity right next to each other? Mm, I'm sorry. Encourage curiosity. You sound like Willy Wonka. That's cannibalism, my dear children. <laughs> encourage curiosity. Moving on from there, uh, we're going to talk about the next point, which is incure. <laughs> Flaky buttery buttery crust. (laughs) Dang it. Do you want me to take this one? Please. Oh, really? Yeah.
<laughs> okay. You can say it. Oh, you wanted me to go on from there. I mean, I'll say the part for you because okay. you're having a hard time with it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't I'm so sorry. It. Why is this? You this... had like a weird pause <laughs> no, there. No, because you were like moving. What are you doing over there? I was just about <laughs> to clear my throat and then you like inhaled and I was like, oh, I better shut up. So I was like. <laughs> then you like stretched your legs like a dog peeing. Ah, oh, this point is going to do us in. Okay. Daggummit. I don't know what to say here. Okay, I'll say it. I really think you should take this point. I'm okay. so sorry. Okay. Oh, I hate that so much. Okay, anytime you Hot want to spaghetti. Stop. <laughs> Get our middle-aged burps out. <laughs> I'm gassy when I'm nervous. <laughs> ma, ma. <laughs> Sharpay, get your shit together. You'd definitely be Sharpay in this situation. I would not. You, you just initiated vocal warm-ups. I, yes. Yeah, you're the one who actually did vocal warm-ups. Yeah, but you're the one who just did it right now. Quit it. We're fighting in front of the microphone. All right. You're embarrassing me. <laughs> Stop it, Mom. Yeah. Sorry. No, you're good. Uh, <clears throat> Got to get my middle-aged nervous burps out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, no. I'm recording. You know how I'm going to be to put that in the end. <laughs> you better the final not. Product. <laughs> if you do, I will literally. If you do, I'll call your mom. <laughs> I will report abuse to Spotify and all the other peeps. Dear Spotify, my wife embarrassed me. Actually, I embarrassed Take her myself. Down. <laughs> Sorry, can we? That was not. We don't know. Sorry. This one goes out to all the beautiful girls sitting on the couch next to me. In their nightgowns. In their nightgowns. <laughs> moo moo. Boy, you, you. Okay, peace out, Girl Scout. <laughs>